0: Welcome back to She Watches, a podcast exploring genres, tropes and everything in between in film hosted by me, Holly. I'm continuing my mini series on 80s action with James Cameron's 1986 sci-fi action adventure, Aliens. There will be spoilers from the start, discussion of blood and gore, swearing and bad impressions. Shake off sleep stasis and get your jumpsuit back on as we are after space. Let's get into Aliens. The film opens with the words, aliens appearing and then fades into a brilliant white screen. This cuts to a shot of space. The camera pans down to an image of a spaceship, the escape shuttle of the Nostromo floating silently and the camera slowly pulls in and then overhead. The scene then cuts to inside the ship. We are shown the spaceship and all this glittering dust that covers all the surfaces. It's very reminiscent of the opening shots of Alien. The audience is then shown our girl Ripley and everyone's favorite Jonesy the cat still safely asleep. The shuttle collides gently with another larger ship, and a machine enters scanning for signs of life. The audience next sees Ripley in a hospital bay. The medical practitioner tells Ripley that she is safe and installs Burke, boo, holding Jonesy the cat. Burke explains to Ripley that she has been hypersleep for fifty-seven years. Ripley is obviously shocked at this revelation. The camera lingers on Ripley's face and then down to Jonesy, who begins to hiss. Ripley begins to convulse in pain as the medical staff hold her down. She lifts up her top and we see her stomach moving. If you have watched Alien, then you probably know what's gonna happen next as we are shown the head of the baby xenomorph about to pop out of Ripley's stomach. However, it's all just a terrible dream. The film then cuts to a picture of Parker on a large screen and a shot of the back of Ripley as the rest of the crew of the Nostromo appear on screen. As Ripley explains what happened to the crew to a bunch of executives from the sinister Wayland Yontani company. Yet again, no one listens to Ripley and instead ridicules her. She finds out that a colony has been set up on LV-426. In the next scene, Ripley, after getting a haircut, is living in a tiny apartment with Jonesy and is working hard down on the cargo docks. She's visited by Burke and Lieutenant Gorman, who have come to tell her that they have lost contact with LV-426 and they need her help. Ripley, who is still traumatised by her experience, reluctantly agrees to ship out with the Marines to investigate, on the condition that they will destroy the xenomorphs. Sadly, old Jonesy will not be coming along for this wild ride. To be fair, he looks pretty happy about it. The film then shows a large ship in space and cuts a row of sleep pods which will begin to open, and we get our first look at the ragtag bunch of marines. Now there are quite a few marines with some very interesting names, so here I go. The marines are Apone, Hicks, Hudson, Frost, Vasquez, Drake, Spunkmeyer, Crow, Babowski, Dietrich, and Farrow. I like that Apon just wakes up, shakes his head, and instantly has a cigar in his mouth. And as Vesquez, who is doing chin-ups, is asked by Hudson if she's ever been mistaken for a man and she bites right back. No, have you? Brilliant. The Motley crew sit down for a disappointed looking breakfast as Hudson asks Bishop, another member of the crew, to do this thing where he spays out his palm and stabs the knife between them. Bishop does this incredibly fast, so it's fairly obvious that Bishop is not entirely human and bleeds white blood. Ripley, who quickly figures this out, is not happy about having an artificial person with her, as last time shit hit the fan. The next scene takes place in the cargo bay. Marines gather and Gorman explains their mission. They are to go to the colony of LV-426 for a possible rescue mission, or as Hudson describes, a bug hunt. Ripley tries to explain what happened to Kane when he got a face full of alien baby, but the Marines don't seem particularly interested and are more concerned on how to kill the Xenomorph. As the Marines prep for their mission, Ripley explains that she can help, as she can use a loader, which is basically like a mechanical suit, Cameron takes care here to show Ripley preparing the loader and this establishes her character as able and intelligent. This will also become a key plot device later in the film. The crew take off and land on LV-426. The use of sound is interesting here. Cameron uses this drumming music which sounds military but also sounds satirical as well. Like, he's telling the audience these people have no idea what they are up against. The drop ship lands and Cameron switches between the cinema camera and the camera on the ship. We are shown the colony and the place is dark and desolate. The tone of the musical score becomes more ominous. The crew go into the colony buildings and the whole place looks abandoned. I really like the lighting in this scene. The only lighting is from the torches of the Marines. It adds to the atmosphere of this place. It's so inhospitable. Marines begin to search the building and these, there are these low sweeping camera angles and only the sound of running water. Hudson and Hicks go up to an upper floor and use their motion trackers as Cameron again hearts back to Alien. is in the control room of the armored car and sees a hole in the metal floor. The camera then pans up to a larger hole of an acid melted ceiling. Ripley, Gorman, Burke and Bishop enter the building. And the audience is shown that the colonists try to seal off the doors. The crew enter the med lab, and the camera lingers on Ripley's face as she sees the specimens of the face huggers preserved in vats. Bert goes in for a closer look, and there is a little jump scare when the face hugger wakes up and bangs against the tank. The motion transmitter begins to beep. Something is moving, and it's coming from behind them. The marines move forward into the corridor, weapons drawn, as the beeping gets louder. From front of the camera, a small figure darts across the screen and marines start firing their guns. Ripley and Hicks look down between some pipes and we see a little girl holding a doll. Ripley tries to coax out the child, but Hicks tries to grab her and she bites him. Ripley follows the girl into an air vent and sees a room filled with old food and blankets and a terrified little girl hunched against the back wall. Ripley comforts the girl and finds a picture of her, a far less feral looking child, and the camera again focuses on the girl's traumatised vacant expression. The crew gather in the command centre and after being checked over, Ripley brings the girl some hot chocolate and cleans her up. The audience begin to see a bond forming between these two characters and a maternal side to Ripley. The girl reveals that her name is Newt and she appears to be the only survivor from the colony. Meanwhile, Hudson attempts to locate the colonists and finds all of them in one of the processing towers. Gorman instructs the Marines, the rest of the crew, to go and find them. And the armoured car drives across and enters the processing tower. The Marines go into the building and the audience is shown the building has been taken over by these alien-like structures, a bit like a nest. Ripley, being the smart girl that she is, asks what kind of ammo the pulse guns fire, and Burke chimes in, as Gorman has absolutely no idea what he's doing, that the ammo could cause a large nuclear explosion. Add that to the current list of problems. The marines continue through the alien nest and find one of the colonists cocooned inside the walls. Cameron used this great, Upward panning shots here, and the audience sees more of the colonists on the Marines' cameras encased in the walls with limbs sticking out. There are also open egg cases and skeletons of face huggers on the floor. Dietrich finds one of the colonists barely alive who starts convulsing, and what do you know? A baby alien bursts from her chest. Cameron cleverly mirrors this with shots of Ripley, also clutching her chest in fear and pain. The marines decide to dispatch the newborn with a flamethrower. The camera cuts to several large creatures moving from the ceiling of the nest. This triggers the motion detector and the marines scramble to try and locate the xenomorphs. This is an incredibly tense moment as the film quickly cuts between the marines and the approaching xenomorphs. As you can imagine, things go downhill from here. The camera shows Dietrich looking around and one of the xenomorphs coming out from the wall and grabbing her. In slow motion, the marines use flamethrowers and poor Frost gets set alight and falls to his death. The irony is not lost on Rivera. Hicks realises that the bag of confiscated ammo is now on fire and attempts to get the marines out of the tower. As Vasquez starts firing live rounds and as Hudson eloquently puts it, they're coming out of the goddamn walls. In the control centre, Ripley, Burke and Gorman watch on the video monitors as the Xenomorphs start picking off the marines and Gorman loses complete control of the mission. Ripley, who has clearly had enough of the idiots around her, steps into the leadership role and drives the armoured car into the processing tower to rescue the remaining marines. This is stunningly shot with these fast tracking shots. One in front of the car, as it comes towards the camera with smoke behind it, Ripley crashes the car through the wall and the last marines get into the car. Drake shoots one of the xenomorphs and gets horribly burnt by its acid blood. As Hicks and Vasquez try to shut the door, a xenomorph appears and it's shot in the head by Hudson who gets sprayed with acid blood. The remaining crew drive out of the building and as another xenomorph lands on the roof, Ripley manages to knock it on the ground and runs it over. Again Cameron uses these beautiful low shots of the car coming towards the camera. The remaining crew get out of the processing tower and Hicks calms Ripley down and the car stops. Ripley checks on Newt who gives a thumbs up. Hicks helps Gorman who has got a pretty bad concussion as Vasquez vents her frustration at him. Hudson, looking at the life monitor, sees that Apone and Dietrich are still alive. Vasquez wants to go back and get them, and Ripley tells him that they can't be helped. I see that Hudson's arm is still smoking from the acid burn at this point. As the others argue about what to do next, Ripley suggests that they take off and nuke the whole colony from space. Burke, however, notes the colony is worth rather a lot of money, and argues they don't have the right to just exterminate them. Spoiler alert! Burke, like Ash in Alien, clearly has another more sinister agenda. Ripley, of course, tells Burke that this is in fact a military operation, and Burke has no say in what they do. Hicks goes with Ripley's plan. Hicks radios Pharaoh to evacuate the crew, and they go to meet the shuttle. As Spunkmeyer and Pharaoh get ready to leave, Spunkmeyer finds some goo inside the ship. That's not a good sign. The ship takes off, and the crew on the ground set up flares. They watch the ship approach and the film cuts the ship, and Furrow wondering where Spunkmeyer has got to. The door opens, and it's definitely not Spunkmeyer; it's a xenomorph. The crew watches in horror as the ship starts to lurch from side to side and then crashes. I like that Cameron adds a few more explosions, just so we know that the ship is completely destroyed. Hudson, played excellently by the late, great Bill Paxton, sums up this scene nicely by saying, Game over, man. His character gets all the best lines in this film. Newt says to Ripley, they better go back inside as it's getting dark. And they mostly come at night, mostly. Carrie Han has the weirdest accent in this film. It reminds me of the Grady twins in The Shining, you know, come play with us, Danny. I did warn you there'd be impressions, bad impressions. <laughs> In the next scene, the crew are set up in the command centre and count their weapons and ammo, which is fairly low at this point. And Ripley asks how long they will have to wait to be rescued. And it's 17 long days. Ripley points out that Newt has lasted far longer than this. And Newt does this adorable little salute. Hudson, who's having a mini breakdown at this point, gets a pep talk from Ripley, who tells him to pull himself together as they need him to find the building's blueprints. Ripley again steps into his leadership role so easily and is the kind of leader that you need. The crew gather to look at said blueprints and work out that the big bad xenomorphs are using a service tunnel to get in and out of the building. Newt Blesser is trying to see what is going on. and In a very tender moment, Hicks lifts her up onto the table so she can see. Ripley and the crew devise a plan to strategically weld off some of the doors and air ducts to try and keep the xenomorphs at bay. Hicks gives Ripley a locator and there is a hint of a possible romantic relationship forming between Hicks and Ripley. Ripley takes a sleepy Newt to the med bay for some well-earned rest. Ripley tucks in Newt and puts a locator on her wrist. Ripley, whose own daughter died when she was in stasis, is forming a motherly bond with Newt. Ripley goes to talk to Bishop. He's basically been dissecting facehuggers for most of the film about exactly what he has found out about the Xenomorphs. The audience and the crew find out two things here. Something probably monstrous is laying those eggs and that Burke has instructed Bishop to keep the specimens alive and in stasis for the company to research. Ripley confronts Burke, who confirms that yes, the specimens are worth millions to the bioresearch part of the company. Ripley basically rips Burke apart, saying she will expose him for causing the deaths of the colonists as he knew about the xenomorph. Burke in turn tries to turn this around on Ripley, saying that he thought she would be smarter than this. And Ripley fires back that she's happy to disappoint him. This is however, not the worst thing that Burke does in this film. Just to add a cherry on top of this terrible predicament, our crew find themselves in. Bishop explains that the emergency venting system is about to explode in four hours, but luckily Bishop volunteers to go out and reset the system manually. I want to think about this for a moment. Since Bishop is not human, and I would assume not a suitable host for the Xenomorph to impregnate, and Bishop notes that he's the only one qualified to pilot the ship remotely, is probably the best choice for this mission. So, off goes Bishop along the tiny tunnel to sort things out. Hicks sends Vasquez and Hudson to do a parameter sweep, while Hicks and Ripley talk about how they will kill each other if necessary, if the xenomorph happens to get to them. Hicks shows Ripley how to use his gun. That's not a euphemism. He really does show her how to use the gun, with a bit of flirting between the pair. Ripley takes the gun and goes to the med bay to check on Newt and to get her some sleep herself. Ripley finds Newt under the bed and curls up with her. Meanwhile, Bishop manages to rely on the satellite and get the dropship working. Ripley wakes to see an empty specimen container on the floor. We see this from Ripley's point of view in this low camera angle. She wakes up Newt and the camera pans to Ripley's hand searching the bed for the gun. It's gone. Suddenly, the facehugger jumps across the room to Ripley and it tries to get to her under the bed. Newt is screaming as they both move from under the bed upturning it and running to the other side of the room. The audience is shown the facehugger moving quickly along the side of the room as Ripley and Newt try to escape. They bang on the glass and the camera switches to the outside view of the room and no one can hear them. Ripley sees the gun outside on the table. Ripley weighs frantically at the CCTV camera but Burke, the colossal shit, turns off the camera. Ripley tries to break the glass but can't. The sound design in this scene is incredible. Cameron uses this scurrying sound and these glasses clinking noises, along with the fast side-to-side sweeping shots to ramp up the tension. The face-hugger is somewhere in that room and Ripley will protect Newt and herself at all costs. Ripley sees the sprinkler system and sets it off with her lighter and this alerts the others to their presence. The facehugger again jumps from the ceiling onto Ripley and she throws it into a corner. Ripley, now on the floor, slides herself back as the facehugger runs right for her. It gets to her and wraps itself round her neck. The camera cuts to Newt screaming as another facehugger crawls up a cart towards her. Newt, however, pushes the cart against the facehugger, trapping its tail against the wall. The others arrive and shoot the glass. Hicks dives straight through the glass into the med lab. Hudson pushes New out the way and shoots the face hugger to pieces, while Hicks, Vasquez, and Gorman try to get the face hugger off Ripley. They manage to unwrap the face hugger and throw it across the room, and it's bye bye face hugger. Ripley coughs, it was Burke. The scene cuts to the crew interrogating a smug looking Burke. Ripley says that Burke could get an alien back through quarantine if it was inside a human host. with these two hosts being Ripley and Newt. With this revelation the power goes out and the crew are lit with this red light the big bads are coming. Hudson and Vasquez go into the corridors with the motion trackers there is little sound in this scene except the clinking of the motion detector and the sounds of boots against the metal floor it's very effective. The motion detector starts beeping as the xenomorphs are inside the building and Varses confirms with her motion detector reading multiple life forms. The crew get back inside the operations room and weld the door shut. Hudson counts down as the xenomorphs come closer. The crew understand the xenomorphs are above them and Hicks lifts up a ceiling panel to show a group of xenomorphs crawling towards them. The Xenomorphs come crashing through the ceiling and the crew start firing their guns. It's chaos. The crew are shooting and the Xenomorphs are making this awful screaming noise as they get hit. As the crew retreat to the med bay, Ripley and Newt get to the door, which is forced shut by Burke. He's an awful man, he really is. Before the crew can escape, one of the Xenomorphs comes up and gets Hudson. Oh, Genuinely devastated love myself some Hudson. Burke however gets his comeuppance as he turns to go out another door and comes face to face with a xenomorph and it bares its metallic teeth, opens its mouth and he gets killed. Newt tells the remaining crew to get in the air vent and Vasquez does her best to hold off the xenomorph trying to break down the door. The crew go into the vents directed by Newt towards the landing station. Hicks radios Bishop to find out where the ship is and good news It's on its way. However, one of the xenomorphs has followed them into the vent and Vasquez manages to shoot it in the head and gets burnt with acid blood in the process. Gorman goes back to get a now injured Vasquez and as the xenomorphs close in, they hold each other and detonate one of the explosions, killing them and some of the xenomorphs. Hicks, Ripley and Newt go across a large van in the floor and the explosion causes Newt to fall down below it. Ripley tries to pull Newt up by her coat and she slides down the van out of sight. Hicks and Ripley use her locator to find her and the audience sees that Newt is in water, holding a doll, looking around and up at the ceiling, calling Ripley's name. Hicks and Ripley locate Newt and they cut through the metal floor to get to her the motion detector starts beeping as a lot of xenomorphs are coming towards them. The scene cuts between the monitor, Hicks welding through the floor and Newt below them. From behind Newt, we see a xenomorph rise out of the water as Hicks and Ripley frantically try to get to her, but Newt is gone with her doll floating in the water. Hicks pulls Ripley away as she screams, they don't kill you and she's alive. That's exactly how she said it. <laughs> the pair get to the lift and the lift door shuts as a xenomorph tries to come in and Hicks shoots it in the face, spraying yet again acid blood. You think by now these people would understand that when you shoot a xenomorph, it will burn you horrifically, but clearly not. But luckily, Hicks raises his gun to block it and get someone his body armour instead. Ripley drags Hicks out of the lift and outside of the building. The scene cuts to Bishop navigating the dropship remotely, and here it comes. Gold star for you, Bishop. Ripley and Hicks arrive at the ship, and they all get on. Ripley is going back for Newt. The film then cuts to Ripley aboard the ship, and she is arming herself with a gun, a flamethrower, a couple of grenades for good measure, and a locator to go into the xenomorph nest to get Newt. Bishop lands the ship in the dock, and reminds Ripley they only have 19 minutes until a nuclear explosion. Ripley goes down to the lift and Cameron again focuses on Ripley loading the guns and arming herself. Ripley is determined to save Newt from what she perceives as a fate worse than death and is in a way facing her demons. The lift door opens down in the sublevels and Ripley slowly moves around in the steam, descending further following the locator. The beeps of the locator get more rapid as she enters the nest and puts down a flare to find her way back. Ripley uses the flamethrower to clear the path, and she finds the locator on the ground, but no Newt. Ripley breaks down, fearing the worst, and the scene cuts to Newt, cocooned by the xenomorphs, but alive. Newt tries to free herself just as well as the eggs opens, and a facehugger begins to crawl out. Ripley, who hears Newt screaming, runs towards her and shoots the facehugger dead just as the xenomorph comes flying towards her, who meets the same fate. Ripley frees Newt, and she carries her in her arms, telling her to hold on. The scene cuts to an explosion, and Ripley and Newt find themselves in a hall of eggs. The scene is silent as Ripley takes in her surroundings. In possibly the grossest part of the film, Ripley sees an egg being laid from this tube-like thing, and Ripley looks up to see a long tube full of eggs. And this tube is attached to a very large alien queen. The alien queen unhinges her jaw full of long, sharp teeth and lets out a low growl as the other xenomorphs start to approach. Ripley stares down the queen as the other xenomorphs back off and Ripley and Newt slowly walk backwards to try and escape. As an egg opens, Ripley burns the remaining eggs with a flamethrower and the Queen starts this awful screaming as her offspring are burnt alive. The audience sees this from an overhead shot as the nest is filled with flames. Ripley takes out a couple more xenomorphs and uses a grenade launcher on the gun to shoot at the egg tube. If the Queen wasn't pissed off before, she sure is now, the Queen detaches herself and goes after them. Ripley and Newt get to the lift. The camera work is so great here. It switches from facing them to Ripley's perspective as he shakily runs. Newt and Ripley get to the lift and the announcement tells them they have four minutes until goodnight, Vienna. The alien queen appears around the corner, coming towards them, and the lift finally arrives. Ripley and Newt take the lift up to the cargo dock and the audience sees that back down on the sub-level, another lift door opens and a shot of the Alien Queen. Ripley and Newt reach the top of the building, and the ship is not there. Ripley hears the other lift coming, and looks down the lift shaft, and there are no bullets left in her gun. She cradles Newt as the explosions go off around them. Ripley backs towards the railings, and the lift opens, and it's the Alien Queen. I want to acknowledge here, that the Alien Queen figured out how to use a lift. She got out on the right floor. (laughs) Don't know how she did that. I have several questions, like how does she press the buttons? Has she been in a lift before? It's a terrifying level of intelligence. In the nick of time, from behind Newt and Ripley, the ship appears. They get on board and the ship flies off just as LV 426 explodes in a giant nuclear fireball. Ripley and Newt share a tender moment as Ripley says they've made it and Newt says, I know you would come. But, dear listeners, as we know, we haven't had that showdown yet with the big, bad alien queen. There are two big bads in Aliens, one being the xenomorphs and the other being Burke and, by extension, the company, Wayland Yuntani. The fact that Burke would exploit the lives of two deeply traumatised individuals, with one also being a child purely for monetary gain, and shows absolutely no remorse and is also willing to kill off the other crew who could possibly expose him is beyond the pale of bad. Ripley nails it here. She said that she does not know which species is worse, as the xenomorphs are not fucking each other over for a percentage. The fact that Burke's act was sanctioned by the company shows the level of disregard for human life, and they are purely concerned for profits and global dominance by using the Xenomorph for some kind of weapon development. This makes them the true villains of Aliens. The Xenomorphs and their Queen, being the other big bad in Aliens, These are also nightmarish parasitic creatures who have taken an entire colony of people to use solely to breed their species. They are deadly and intelligent and managed to very easily pick off a highly trained group of marines with ease. In comparison, however, to Burke and the company, the xenomorphs can be forgiven for doing what is in their nature and defending their nest. Back on the Sulaco, with Hicks out cold... Bishop, Ripley and Newt are in the cargo bay and as Bishop gets that gold star from Ripley, there is a hissing noise and a hole appears to be burning into the floor. As the camera pans up and Bishop is stabbed through the chest by the alien queen, Bishop have lifted into the air and she rips him in half with both halves flying in either direction as Ripley looks on in horror. The alien queen gets down from the ship and comes towards Ripley as she tells Newt to run. Ripley runs to a door and manages to shut it before the Queen gets to her. Newt, who is hidden under the floor, looks up as the Queen stalks around looking for her. The Queen finds her and lifts up the floor as Newt crawls along the floor to get away and the Queen keeps coming, lifting up parts of the floor. Just as the Queen backs a screaming Newt into a corner, there are metallic footsteps and the cargo Door opens. There is Ripley in a loader, and she lifts up her arms and walks towards the Queen. As the camera pulls in for a close up of Ripley's face, she says the iconic line: get away from her, you bitch. As the queen comes charging towards Ripley, she lifts the loader's arms and hits the queen straight in the face, and then again knocking the queen down. Ripley traps the queen's head inside the loader arms and the Queen uses her razor sharp tail to try and stab Ripley. The pair are circling each other as Ripley tries to hit the Queen again, and the Queen goes at Ripley with her tail. However, Ripley opens the airlock door. Ripley grabs the Queen's head again with the loader arms, and the Queen uses her second mouth to try and bite Ripley. Ripley uses the welding torch to force the Queen back, and as Ripley goes to drop the Queen to the airlock, the Queen drags Ripley down with her. Ripley, who's landed on top of the Queen, unhooks herself from the loader and climbs up the ladder to the control panel for the airlock. The Queen, however, is having none of this and grabs Ripley by the ankle and tries to pull Ripley back down. Ripley presses the control to open the airlock and it opens. Newt and the top half of Bishop are dragged towards the open airlock. I cannot help but laugh as poor old Bishop gets dragged towards the floor and he makes this, whoa! (laughs) It's so funny, it shouldn't be, but it is. Ripley holding onto the ladder for dear life and the Queen also still holding onto Ripley's ankle. As the Queen's hand slips to Ripley's shoe, it comes loose and the Queen is projected into space. Cameron shows the alien queen in space rolling around screaming and it cuts back to Ripley's hand on the ladder as she clams out the airlock. Newt gets dragged towards the open airlock and is saved by Bishop as Ripley opens the control panel on the floor and shuts the airlock. Ripley lies on her side panting and goes over to Newt and Bishop. Newt gets into Ripley's arms and calls her mummy oh my heart Bishop who is literally in half on the floor says not bad for a human the closing scene cuts to a vac packed Bishop and Hicks going into sleep stasis Ripley tucks in Newt and the last shot of aliens is the pair of them sleeping fade to black Aliens at its core is a study about motherhood. There are two mothers in this film, Ripley and the Alien Queen. Ripley is revealed at the beginning of the film to have had a daughter who has died while she was in deep sleep for 57 years. In Alien, her maternal instinct is shown by saving Jonesy the cat. This is further developed in Aliens with her relationship with Newt. I think this actually strengthens and develops her character. These are two people who have been through immense trauma and have managed to find solace and meaning to the horrors that they have faced by forming a mother daughter relationship. The alien queen herself is a mother of multiple monstrous children, but she is still a mother and like Ripley, a leader. In essence, these are two mothers who will do anything to protect and avenge their offspring. Cameron displays this in both characters, the way the Alien Queen screams when her children are destroyed by Ripley, who was in turn protecting her child Newt, and why the Alien Queen subsequently chooses herself to avenge them and not alongside the other xenomorphs. The final showdown has to be between these two mothers. Aliens, to an extent, also explores female bodies and pregnancy. It's no coincidence that only women are shown giving metaphorical birth in Aliens. The only time we see a chest burst is in Ripley's dream, and with one of the female colonists. Burke chooses two female characters to be possible incubators for the xenomorph's offspring. However, it appears that anyone human, regardless of gender, can incubate the xenomorphs' babies. This is echoed in the visual image of the queen as horrific, parading the largeness of a pregnant body, making it seem overly large and unnatural. The womb is visible and the audience come face to face with the source of the horror. So what are my final thoughts about aliens? Aliens is a superbly well executed film. For a sequel to take a story and characters introduce an alien and not only develop a character like Ripley for the better and introduce new characters for an audience to invest in is remarkable. Cameron takes the best elements from Alien and transforms them into something new and exciting whilst being true to the source material. There are still elements of horror and I think this is elevated by the action scenes. There is a rare balance between horror, action, and at points, comedy. The performances by the cast are excellent. Sigourney Weaver turned Ripley from a final girl to an action heroine in a genre dominated by men is no mean feat. I like Ripley even more in Aliens. She again steps into this leadership role and shows her intelligence and determination, but more importantly, her vulnerability with the ability to confront the past trauma from Alien. Ripley develops complex and meaningful relationships with Newt and Bishop, and a potential romantic relationship with Hicks. Ripley is a far more well-rounded character in Aliens. The film is beautifully shot, and the sound design and the set pieces just work. Yes, some of the graphics have not aged that well, but it's a 36 year old film, so that can be forgiven. It's a real shame that the Alien franchise kind of takes a nosedive from here as the other direct sequels and the expanded universe are not that great. This is a standout film. To take such a classic like Alien and make a sequel that is not only just as good but at slight points better, is no mean feat. And I hate to toot Cameron's horn, but my God, he fucking nailed it with this film. Thank you for listening to She Watches. Uh, The podcast is on Spotify and Amazon Music and wherever else you get podcasts. She Watches is on Instagram as She Watches Pod for show updates and other fun stuff. Next time I'll be doing a deep dive into an 80s police procedural classic, Lethal Weapon. So until then, keep watching.